Phillip, the host of the Tarmac Report, popular segment on this podcast. We got to go right back to you because we're recording on a Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, and a game of great interest to you and all the fans of the Tarmac Report is happening right now. The Tarmac Classic, Neil Brown and West Virginia versus Dana Holgerson and Houston, two of the um, two of the people who've had the longest runs or, you know, most weeks on the tarmac report in the last five years, I think. So Ryan, give me a prediction or general thoughts on this game. Well, Tom, as we're watching it, Houston actually just took the lead here. Uh, literally as you were, you were doing the intro, they just scored, but that doesn't matter. Because it's tarmac time, gentlemen. That's right. We're starting the show with it. We ended with it last week. We're starting with it this week because number five on the tarmac is Mr. Dana Holgerson. They're going to blow this game at home, and he is on the hot seat. Their schedule does not look great the rest of this year either. They've got some tough games coming up, and I don't know if he's going to last through the year. I'm going to look this up while you continue and we're going to, we're going to do live betting amongst each other on when Dana Holgerson's last game will be, but please continue for now. I think he's going to get gundied by his former mentor, but anyways, moving on. Uh, number four in honor of Oktoberfest, Mr. Brat Bilemma at Illinois is keeping the Big Ten strong. Number three, we're going down to the south. Will Hall, Southern Miss, it gets worse and worse and worse, and it's not going to get any better. Their upcoming schedule, again, not great for them. Some tough games. They even have an SEC-Mississippi State battle in there, the in-state game. It's not going to go well. Holding in strong at number two, Butch, you're staying strong. You're holding in there. Number two, not quite there yet because you have been usurped by the biggest boner in college sports since Chris Weber's ill-fated timeout. Mario Cristobal, welcome to the tarmac. For this week, at least, you get the number one slot. I cannot believe that game. Were either of you guys watching that when it happened live? Yeah, I was watching the whole thing live. Yeah, I, it was incredible. I was freaking out. I'm texting you guys. <laughs> that was, I cannot believe he did it again. Let me emphasize again. This is a habit for him. He even had coaches on the sideline yelling at him to take a knee, and he still insisted on running it. One thing I always talk about in the tarmac is coaches who disrespect their assistant coaches. These guys were had your back. They guided you in the right direction and you disregarded your assistant coaches. You are number one on the tarmac, Mario Cristobal. Let's go. So my one qualm with that is that, uh, first off, I don't think he's getting fired, but he deserves the spot for this week. But if he were fired, I don't think a tarmac from Miami is the right way to go. I'm wondering what is the uh, equivalent 
Does he get put on a fan boat? Does he get put on like a deep sea fishing expedition and pushed off the side? Like what's the Miami version of the tarmac? They take him out to a nice seafood lunch in the Keys and then they just leave him there. And that's you you got to get yourself back from the Keys and by the time you make it back through Alligator Alley on foot, your office door will be cha- the lock will be changed. Well, if you want a defensive-minded coach who's got roots to Miami, Manny Diaz is doing a great job up at Penn State. Oh, no. All right. That is not good. No. Uh, Here we go. So next week, Houston hosts number nine, Texas. After that, they go to Kansas State, to Baylor, home for Houston, home for Oklahoma State on November 18th, and then wrapping up at UCF. So potential to lose all of those games, but uh, let's bring in my other co-host, Dan Partridge. When will Dana Holgerson get fired, Dan? Hmm. Let's see here. About three weeks. I don't think he makes it to Halloween. So that would be at Baylor. Oh, Sorry, three weeks from today would be uh, after the Kansas State game on the 28th, but before yeah, Halloween. State, yeah, like uh, Kansas State could run for 430 yards, and that might be it. Like more of those type of losses. I like that. Ryan? That's great because that's a road game in Manhattan, Kansas, and that is a brutal place to be left on a tarmac. I don't even know where the closest airport is there is no where, airport where is the closest airport to manhattan kansas i i don't Houston. know we'll look i'll Dallas. look that up later yeah i'm, I'm guessing like tulsa or different something. state yes yeah. i would be willing to bet it's not in the state of kansas mm-hmm. all right i'm gonna give him some credit and i'm gonna say he the oklahoma state one does seem good because it's houston and they're not exactly attracting marquee candidates. I think they'll hold on to him a little longer than they probably would have at a bigger school or should have in this case. I'm going to say Mike Gundy uh, takes his soul, Shang Tsung style, on November 18th. Okay. In, in Houston. So losing to Gundy at home in Oklahoma State's worst season since uh, we can remember. I feel like that's a good one. There is a regional airport in Manhattan, Manhattan, Kansas, but I don't know if what's the closest major one. I don't know. Yeah, they'll. Yeah, they're not springing for a Velo Airlines or one of those like little jets. You know, they're going to take them to the big one. All right, Dan Partridge, uh, tell me your thoughts and reflections on the last week of college football. <laughs> I got one thought, and it's the extension of the tarmac report. The worst coaching performance last week was not Mario Cristobal. It was Jed Fish from Arizona. And let me explain. I'm still pissed off about this. Arizona goes to USC and catches USC completely asleep. USC with a obvious look-ahead spot because they're going to Notre Dame this weekend. They're sloppy. Arizona's played Washington and USC relatively tough. Washington not as much. USC for sure. Let's fast forward to the end of the game. 
Uh, USC makes a comedy of errors and somehow gets their like 21 yard field goal block goes to overtime. USC gets the ball first, scores a touchdown. Arizona now has the ball down seven points. They score a touchdown on the first play of overtime. As a head coach, you have two options at this point. You can A, kick the extra point, and then continue to battle overtime after overtime against the Heisman Trophy winner. Or you can go for a two-point conversion against one of the worst defenses in all of college football and try to steal a historic win for your program that would ignite recruiting and 8 million other things. He goes for option one and kicks the extra point. Absolutely terrible. And then they get the ball in the second overtime and they score a touchdown and he puts his field goal team out there to kick the extra point until the refs alert him that that those are no longer the rules of college football, which he has to call a timeout and send his team back to run two point conversion which they do not get. And then USC gets the ball. They score a touchdown, and they actually stop him on the two-point conversion, yada, yada, yada. The point is he fucked this up so bad, and it drives me insane when underdog coaches don't go for two in that spot. Um, We saw it earlier in the year with Jay Norvell with Colorado State not doing it against Colorado, and – I mean, I was irate that they didn't go for two. You have a chance to beat USC in the Coliseum, and all you got to do is score from the two-and-a-half-yard line against that bad defense. But instead, you got to play it safe and trust your defense. It's just the dumbest shit ever. So uh, that was almost as bad. or It might be equally as bad as Cristobal. Um, I'm still mad about that. So that was my little extension to the Tarmac report for this week. Well, you're exactly right because the greatest upset and I would say the greatest game in college football history ended exactly with that, with Boise going for two to beat Oklahoma when they didn't need to, but they knew they were outmatched. They had an early lead. Oklahoma was the you know, bigger, faster, stronger team, and the longer the game went on, the more it favored them. So they did it. The guy proposed to his girlfriend. They made history, and we remember them forever. If Arizona loses, as they did, we'll forget this game in three weeks. If they had won that, that's one you remember for years. So there really is no downside, especially for an Arizona team that is rebuilding, has the, uh, you know, I guess everybody in Arizona, I mean, you guys live there, but I'm guessing the expectations aren't too high for this year. So there's nothing to lose. Correct. None. Zero. It's only upside. If you would have told him, all week to beat USC as a three touchdown underdog. All you have to do is score on one play from the two and a half yard line. He would have taken that in a split second, not even thought about it, but no, just totally fucked it up. Yeah. And as you mentioned, just to reiterate, you were doing this against one of the worst defenses in college football. This isn't against Oregon or Washington or Utah. I would still say do the same thing and go for it against those teams. I mean, it's one play, one shot, but USC, man. The defense, you could drive a Mack truck through. Yes, Ryan. Speaking of that, the Pac-12 and defense and all that, quick little trivia for you guys. Who right now has the number one rated defense in college football? 
I don't know the answer, but I'm going to guess it's one of the two teams in this week's big game. I would guess Oregon. I, I think they seem like the stronger defense. That is incorrect. That would be the defensive mastermind. Chip Kelly at UCLA Ooh. has their number one rated defense in college football right now. Just interesting. Uh, Pac-12 depth. Hey, I mean, they had an impressive win, so I can't take anything away from Chip. However, I'm, I am interested in the methodology of these ratings if he's number one. Good point. It, it's UCLA. They're they're it's their metrics. Like it's the defensive stats and everything. They're rated number one. So speaking of stats, and then we'll get into the lines. I would like ESPN to retire the probability meter that they show every week. <laughs> it's one of the worst things that in terms of like a useful statistic, I think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, followed closely by like the New York Times political election meter. All meters basically should be banned if they're on the internet. And the reason I say this, I mean, you guys laugh, so you obviously know this and maybe it's intuitive to everyone, but every single week there's one or two games where the probability gets up to 99.9% and then the team loses. So to me, if that's happening at least every week and multiple times a week, usually seems like it's not actually the correct probability. That should be something that happens once a season in my mind, maybe two or three times. So true. What is your guys least favorite stupid stat that ESPN has produced? Mm. ESPN likes to find like obscure ones, like no team over the past seven weeks in the second half has a better (laughs) ranked defense. You're like, Oh, fuck off. Because like the eighth game, they gave up 35 and it's like the first half they've been terrible. They're like, it's an elite, you know, they're very glass half full, a little bit too much. Uh, I don't have a specific one, but it's usually something like that. As a Bills fan, I, it's hard for me to ever give it up to the Dolphins, but uh, Mike McDaniels, I think is the coolest coach who's ever been in the NFL. And when they asked him about, um, you know, whatever best, you know, output, offensive output through five games. And he said, Oh, that was our goal coming into the season was statistical <laughs> output through five weeks. I laughed so hard. So good. I'm like, this guy rules, and he's the only uh like AFC East non-Bills coach I think I'll ever have to like. Same way I had yeah. to eventually admit that that Gronk was cool. I have to admit that this guy rules. You guys seem yeah, to disagree on the Gronk thing, but no. we'll save that for another time. Fuck Gronk, but McDaniels is awesome because he's like us if we coached like he, he he's so unlike Mike McCarthy he's the exact opposite which I love I'm trying to decide if he's really smart and clever or if most coaches are so dumb and he's just ordinary it's a combination of both there's so many ordinary jed fishes out there kicking the extra point and boring shit like that but uh he actually is smart. Um, there's some really good videos on YouTube talking about how, how he makes like um, adjustments and things like that. And it's neat to see his offensive scheme. It's really smart. He is a Yale man. Yeah. All right. I think um, we've talked enough nonsense, even though I have about five more nonsense topics that I'm sure we'll get into later, but Dan, let's go into the lines for week seven. I, I think it's week seven. I always lose my placement uh, around this time. Whatever week week it is. All right. We're in week seven. 
Week seven already. All right, here we go. 9 a.m. Saturday. Ohio State at Purdue. Ohio State minus 19. Total 52. Ohio State jacked around for a half as expected against Maryland and covered somehow. Purdue likes to play Ohio State close at home, especially, and if or pull off the upset. Tom, can Purdue cover the 19? And what do you think about the total of 52 with Hudson Card at quarterback? So here's what I realized is that Purdue, we always had the joke, they were always the team that beat top five teams when they were unranked, and it happened once a season. But now, of course, their coach is down in Louisville, and what does Louisville do? They crushed Notre Dame last week. So I think he transferred the power with him of those upsets, and I don't think this Purdue team has it anymore. So my answer is no. Ohio State should be in a look-ahead spot, but I know Ohio State, you know, I'm a Penn State fan. I watch a million Ohio State games. I know what they do. I know their ways. They always like to run it up against teams like this, especially going into a big game. They do the opposite of the look ahead. They want to do like established dominance over the the weaker team to prove how great they are going into the tough game. So Ohio State's going to win this game by 35, 40 points. And uh, Ryan Day is going to scream at who's a famous Purdue alum over the age of 90. Drew Brees. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He's going to scream at Drew Brees after the game. Accurate. Ryan, any thoughts on this one? Pass. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think this Ohio State team's that good um, comparatively. I, I don't think McCord's that good either. And... If you notice, Marvin Harrison Sr. is calling for a quarterback change, and they might want to listen to him. He's not a guy I would um, enter into a disagreement with. That's just how I see the situation. It's okay. a hard. It's a hard one to read because he posted a picture of the fourth string QB when he implied that a change should be made. So it's hard to believe that they would. Bench, even if McCord got benched, it's hard to believe they would go to that fourth stringer. So I don't know what he's trying to say. Perhaps he has caught the energy. Someone's getting shot, Tom. <laughs> you know, you know damn well what he's trying to say. Um Okay. All right, let's move on. Syracuse University travels to Florida State. Florida State laying 17 and a half, total 55. Ryan, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take Florida State. Not worried at all about any of this. What I do love for this game is a prop, if you can find it, of over sacks for Jared Verse, former University of Albany star spurned by Syracuse going against the upstate team. He is going over on sacks. Find that prop. That's a good angle. Tommy, love anything on love this that. Love that. He's going to be drafted higher than any Syracuse player this year, much higher than any Syracuse player. So he's already won that battle. I'm in total agreement. We already did the tarmac. Otherwise I thought that I thought this might be the game where we were getting a little surprise from you. But things are not going well in the queues, and I would fade them for the rest of the year hard. 
Yeah, we are back on the uh, over train here. I don't think Syracuse's defense can stop anybody. I'll take over 55 in this game. Florida State might get 55 on their own. All right, let's move on. Arkansas travels to Alabama. Bama minus 19 and a half, over under 46. Arkansas put up a valiant effort last week, but ultimately fall, fell short to Ole Miss. They covered, though, as I told you they would. Um, but they didn't win. They're now 2-4, and 0-3 oh in conference. Sam Pittman on the hot seat. K.J. Jefferson does not look like the same dude whatsoever. Question, Tom, is Alabama the best team in the SEC? No, I think Georgia still is. But Alabama is... Now, keep in mind, I picked Alabama to win the national title before this year, which doesn't look super great in hindsight, but they are a deep team with a lot of talent in the non-skill positions and the sort of like unglamorous parts of the field, you know, defense and the trenches and stuff like that. So they can beat anyone, but... Their lack of um, leadership at QB in some of the skill positions means they could also lose to teams like probably not Arkansas, but, you know, Ole Miss or whatever. Uh, I mean, they already played Ole Miss, I think. But you know what I'm saying. They could lose a lot of games and they could beat anybody. So I wouldn't rule them out. But, um, you know, we talked about it last week. Is Georgia as good as the Stetson teams? Probably not. But I haven't seen anything either – from Georgia themselves or from the rest of the SEC that makes me believe that anybody else should be favored to win this league. In fact, I think this, like if there's one league I'm comfortable predicting who's going to win right now, I'm taking Georgia in the SEC because all the other leagues are so competitive right now. So no, I guess is my answer, but I do think they're better than whatever they're ranked right now. Ryan thoughts. I I died on the KJ Hill. I said I was going to die on that hill, and I have I have died on that hill. Uh, it's over. I think Arkansas is just a broken team. I think this is a way too many points, but I would not take Arkansas in this spot. I just can't do it. Unfortunately. All right, gentlemen, you each have your own surprise segment on take the points. Well, I've got my segment you all know about, which isn't really a surprise, but we're going to bring it up for the first time in 2023. And that of course is the Zach Mills award. This is a, you know, I'll set it up since we haven't done it this year. This is an award named after famed early two thousands Penn state quarterback and uh, who would go on to be a professional poker player, Zach Mills, who came in and uh, lit up the big 10 in his freshman year and looked awesome looked like um, a superstar in the making and then got a little bit worse every year until his senior year when I think they had a losing record. And so we awarded annually, usually at the end of the year for the quarterback in college who started off hot, looked like he had a bright future and then got progressively worse every year. And so I want to do a mid season Zach Mills award check-in. Each of you can weigh in. We have a lot of strong candidates this year. So and especially with, you know, COVID and NIL and guys are staying longer and switching schools. There's, there's just so many guys this year 
usually it's pretty easy. You know, uh, I forget the name of that uh, Arizona State quarterback who won it a few years back, but there have been a lot of guys. Um, K.J. Jefferson is on the list for sure. That's why I bring it up. But there's some other guys you might have them beat. So, uh, Ryan, who's on your Zach Mills watch list for this year? Oof, Tom, like you said, it is a it is a very big pool to choose from with the transfer portal. It is hard to keep track. I will say that the early the preseason favorite was Spencer Rattler, but he looks like he's actually become semi competent. So it looks like he's out for now. Currently, I have KJ Jefferson at the three spot. I have Hank Bachmeyer formerly of Boise State in the two spot at Louisiana Tech. And in the one currently, I have JT Daniels at Rice, lost to UConn. He goes on number one on the Zach Mills Award list, preventing his coach from being on the tarmac for losing to UConn. We had to get one of those losers in there for that game, and that's where I get him. This is like his fifth school in eight years or something. Yeah. I mean, obviously went from, um, USC prodigy or supposed prodigy to Georgia supposed to win a national championship and then didn't even play over Stetson Bennett to now he's what West Virginia and now rice. So it's been a, a real downhill fall for old JT Dan, anyone to add to the list and who's your top couple? I have two names to add. One you will know, one you will not, and I will explain. One you will know is Mr. Spencer Sanders at Ole Miss. uh, Went from potential Heisman candidate to can't start at Ole Miss. And another name I want to throw out there just for some comedy is J.T. Shrout. You're like, wow, that sounds weird. Started University of Tennessee. And because he was there, Michael Penix decided to go to Indiana uh, over him because the coaches made him the starter in Tennessee. Doesn't work out at Tennessee for him, so he goes to Colorado with Carl Durrell. And then Dion comes in. He has to get out. And where the fuck is he now? That's right. Arkansas State with Butch Jones. So oh that's quite that's quite the fucking fall off here. Um, you know what? Not not good. That's a, that's a, that's a first off. That's a strong first case. Off, you, you, you good read case. That ESPN article, didn't you, Dan? Good research. However, I'd like to make a counterpoint to that. That while his own career has been going steadily downhill, he seems to have some kind of Midas touch with the programs once he leaves. So perhaps <laughs> Butch gets fired. By the way, I like how we call him Butch now. Just just Butch, like Cher. Or Madonna. Yeah, that's, that's all it is. So Butch, probably not going to make it through this year. Maybe JT will transfer again. And uh, let's put some money on Arkansas State next year. Fun fact, Butch was the one that originally offered him when he was at Tennessee. Full and, when they, and when they fired Butch and hired Jeremy Pruitt, Penix was three weeks away from signing day and hadn't heard from Pruitt at all. And then his high school coach calls him into his office to tell him that Tennessee pulled the offer and they're no longer offering you a scholarship. 
Pruitt didn't even have the balls to call him and tell him himself. He called his high school coach and said, let Mike know we've picked a different quarterback. We like JT Shrout better. So in case, in case your opinion about Butch and Pruitt weren't low enough, I wasn't even thinking about them passing over Penix. I mean, this is, um, you know, Joe Scott Frost passing up on Joe Burrow esque. Mm-hmm. It is the same thing. Jesus. All right. Well, you know, yes, he's a candidate for Zach Mills, but he's also a candidate for take the points man of the year for what he's done to those coaches careers. And he might be like some kind of vigilante who's just following Butch around. He's like, I ended you at Tennessee. Now I'll end you at Arkansas and wherever you go next, I'll transfer there. I'll end your career in D three too. All right. Let's continue on. 9 a.m. slate. Michigan State at Rutgers. Yes. Big game, Tom. Ooh, do I have to pick this one? You're both going to pick this one, gentlemen, because that is this week's Your Opinion is Wrong game. Fun fact, I was going to do a special live take uh, Your Opinion is Wrong game because the West Virginia uh, Houston line was West Virginia minus three and the total was 49. And when we started the podcast, it was 17, 14 West Virginia in the third quarter, which is literally still minus three and on pace for exactly 49 points. That's right on track. But, But because we've talked about that in length already, I'll let you guys choose incorrectly on this one. Rutgers at home minus four and a half, total thirty-nine and a half. Tom, I, I, I want no, need... I want Ryan to go first as an act of charity, because <laughs> I know the answer to this one. All right, Ryan. Rutgers at home minus four and a half, total thirty-nine and a half. Uh, I'm gonna take the State University of New Jersey uh and the under. I don't know why. It just feels like Michigan State will not score. Rutgers is probably going to beat them like 30 to 3. So let's just go with that. Okay. Uh, you like Rutgers and the under. Well, I actually don't have a comeback because I can't find any any evidence that Michigan State can possibly win this game. This is unlike the normal your opinion is wrong. I really don't have any rebuttal. I just want to hear both of your arguments for both things. So, Tom, tell me why it's Michigan State and the over. This is a tough one. Well, you've got Mark D'Antonio back in the building, a seasoned vet coming in to face, you know, a lower tier. These these teams now are playing for like the worst recruits in the Big 10 as, you know, basement dwellers. So it's a very important game in the way that Michigan Ohio State is important for the top recruits. This is important for any two-star recruit. So, it's very important for D'Antonio and uh, Michigan State to go and stomp Rutgers and beat them outright. And uh, the only way that they can do that is just to score, score, score. So Michigan state in the over easy pick. All right. Sounds good. I'm not going to waste my breath this week on either program. Can I Um, listen? I love the segment, but I really do want to weigh in on this one that please, please bet the under on this one, folks. 
Yeah, who I, I was looking at it. There's I don't see any points anyone scoring on either team. Like I don't. There's no way. I just don't get it. So Rutgers, by the way, as predicted here on Take the Points, nice cover, nice backdoor cover against Wisconsin. Nice cover. No chance of ever winning, but covered. No, no. So. Hey, nobody predicted them to win, but it was a good yep. between them and Arkansas. We had a good week predicting covers by red teams that had no chance to win. All right. We got one more goofball game to talk about before we get into some real business. Uh, Penn state hosts UMass this week, Penn state minus 41 and a half total 54 and a half. (laughs) Tom, will, will you be placing the Penn state and under parlay this week? Why or why not? You have to do it. Now this is a tricky one because Penn state Unlike what I said about Ohio State, Penn State's got Ohio State next week, and they're actually going to just try to get out of this game alive without any injuries, run the ball, and just get it over with. So I don't think you're going to see a 70-point game from Penn State, even though their second string could put up 60 against UMass. So I think you're just going to see a lot of running. Penn State's defense, even their second string defense, they have a lot of pride, and they're not like they look to shut teams out this year. They take pride in the shutout against Iowa. Their third stringers and second stringers were playing hard at the end of that game. So UMass ain't scoring a bunch of points. They'll get some kind of garbage TD, but UMass is going to get maybe 10 to 13 points. And Penn State, actually, I guess that would screw it up because Penn State's going to put up like 48 to 52. So I think, I think we're going over. So no, I can't, I, I can't bet the window, but I do have another big 10 game this week. That's got an even nicer window that I do think I'm going to take, but maybe we'll get to that. Right. You got anything on this one? 45, nothing. I like it. Okay. Let's stop messing around here. 1230 Pacific Saturday afternoon, Oregon at Washington. Okay, Washington minus three, total 67. I have so much on this game. This is what I've been looking forward to for the last six weeks, and I'm so excited to watch this game in two days. Can I just say before you start, I think to Mm -hmm. me this is like the first real marquee game of the season. I mean, yeah, you had Ohio State, Notre Dame, and high-ranking teams, but this is the first one where it's like this has – championship implications. Yeah. I think this is two of the best five teams in the country. And I think Notre Dame is wildly overrated, uh, which has now been proven and uh, they'll continue to lose games this year. Um, Okay. Before we talk about this year, let's look back at last year. Washington wins at Oregon 37, 34. Washington punts once, Oregon punts zero times. Offensive players on last year's team and this year's team on both teams, literally identical. Same quarterbacks, same wide receivers, Oregon with the same backs, different backs for Washington due to injury, but they transferred in the guy from Michigan or from Mississippi State. So I think that's pretty much a wash. Offenses are the same. The only real def- or no, I give it away difference is who isn't on the defense this year. Oregon lost two key players, sorry, three key players to the draft last year. Christian Gonzalez, cornerback, 
Noah Sewell, linebacker, and DJ Anderson, third-round pick, middle linebacker to Carolina Panthers. That's three big losses on a defense that gave up 37 at home and over 400 yards passing to Washington. Um, I think Washington's a better offense this year than they were last year. The whole team could have went pro, but they all came back because they thought they had a chance to run the table. This is going to be the biggest game at that stadium, they said, in 35 years or something, since 1988 or 1990. Probably since the 99, is it 90 or 91 they won the chair of the title? One of the two, yeah, 90, I think, yeah. Um, the It's a complete sellout. They're at home. Um, Bo Nix isn't the same on the road as he is at home. And it's not just... His time at Oregon, it was like that at Auburn as well. And I went back and I looked at his game log from last year. And his home road splits are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty important to look at. Because on the road, he throws picks. And at home, he doesn't. Washington has some elite players on defense. I think they can come up the big player too. So um, I'll go first on this one. I'm going to go Washington 45, Oregon 37. That's my prediction for this one. Uh, and I also really like how Michael Penix threw zero touchdowns against Arizona. They had a bye week last week. Caleb, Caleb Williams wins a double overtime and has a bunch of highlight plays. And two days ago, the odds flipped on all gambling websites, and Penix is now the Heisman. And that tells me that the sports books are putting this Heisman money out there now because they expect Washington to win this game. And he'll be overwhelmingly the favorite come Sunday morning. So a lot of juju there. Um, anyway, uh, I haven't cheered hard for a team uh, this hard in a long time. I'm really excited. So go Huskies, beat Oregon. Let's do this. Ryan, go ahead. Um, I mean, Dan, you covered – Everything about this game from the uh, spread standpoint, I think that's all great. I agree with pretty much everything you said. What I'm going to focus here on is the fact that these two teams combine to score 97.6 points a game. 97.6. Why is this over under 67, gentlemen? How is that even possible? That is the play of the week the play of the year is the over in this game. It is going over 67 and I am very confident in that play. So let me start by saying I excellent breakdown, Dan, and I agree with everything you said. And we've been talking about Washington as our Tinder team. I don't know if we've officially declared them our Tinder team or if they're too good for that. But they're the team that's not technically our team that we're all rooting for this season. If I could pick one team that I want to win the title this year, as opposed to who I think is going to win, I'd pick Washington. I think they have a good chance, but they're the number one team I want to win it. This one scares me, though, and um, I'll tell you why. Is First off, the line, like you said, Ryan, it seems a little low. Um, part of that is the new rules. But I've seen too many of these games where, you know, it's teams that should easily score this much and then it ends up like 17-14. Too many of those Oregon-Stanford games. So who knows? I think the over is probably the smart pick, but I'm, I'm not as confident in it as you are. 
And I'm scared of Oregon because even though this doesn't make sense on paper, I watched their games. They lost that NFL talent on defense. I think their defense is tougher and better this year than it was last year. And Dan disagrees, but I, I don't know. Just from watching them, I've seen them play real tough on D. They make plays. It's a little bend, but don't break. But I, I they, they worry me. I'm still picking Washington. Don't worry, because I think they're a team of destiny. But I don't think it's going to be easy. I think three points is right on. I think 67 is right on. I don't like anything. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll take a Penix, you know, and some kind of Penix prop bet is probably what I'll be looking for. I think he'll shine, but I think it'll be tough. And I think both of these defenses are better than people give them credit for because they play in the high scoring Pac-12. But it's two good defenses. And if this game ended up, you know, 31-27, that wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, counter argument. Let's go through Oregon's bullshit schedule so far. Home against Portland State. They're not a real team. At Texas Tech, they win 38-30 with Tyler Schlag or whatever the fuck his name is. Throws three interceptions and they still give up 30 points? Bullshit. Oh, then they play that that tough Hawaii squad at home. Oh, that, that was that was real tough. And then they played undersized, undermanned, exhausted Colorado without Travis Hunter. And just because they blasted them, people think they're really good. Colorado's not that good at all. Arizona State almost beat them last week, and they're fucking terrible. And then Oregon got to play at Stanford and won 42 to 6 and jacked around the first half and was barely up any points at all. USC was up on Stanford 49-3 at half. That defense hasn't shown anything or had any competition the entire year. The only semi-tough game was at Texas Tech, and that was the game where they got that late touchdown to cover the spread, where it was actually 31-30 with almost no time left. Oregon's overrated. Um, And Washington beat them last year in Eugene, and it was still Dan Lanning. Mr. Georgia defensive coordinator being the coach. And that's when they had Christian Gonzalez locking down and Dunze on one side and soul on one side blitzing off the edge in the middle linebacker, DJ Anderson calling out the defense. Those three guys aren't there. Penix is going to light these fuckers up seven touchdowns. That's my number. Seven passing touchdowns is going down on Saturday. Seven. I hope you're right. And I'll be rooting for it. He's going to do the arrow every time too. It's going to be dope. So anyway, uh, I'm passionate about this one. I'm laying it with three, and I'm laying it big, like rent money big. I don't give a flying fuck. All right, for the listeners, you know, you've heard us say this a million times, but if you're new or whatever, you don't pay attention or your eyes are glazed over, ears are glazed over. Can your ears be glazed over? Dan and Ryan are the West Coast guys. I'm the Big Ten guy, so listen to them. Future Big Ten team, Oregon. You'll have to talk more in detail about yeah. them. Oh, <laughs> next year. Next year, I'll know goddamn everything about the Ducks. <laughs> so great. All right, let's breaking, continue on. Breaking news, fellas. Washington State has called a, a board meeting for tomorrow. What's it going to be? Are they joining the SEC? No idea. I don't know what's going on up there. Mountain West? I don't know. What's going to be a more disappointing announcement, Washington State, whatever they're they're planning and announcing, or uh, Seinfeld saying they've got, quote, something in the works? Mm. It ain't Washington gonna, State. Seinfeld, <laughs> it's, I think the Seinfeld one, I think it's going to be like a Doritos commercial or some shit. Like, I don't think mm. it's going to be anything good. It, it Possibly. The only way it could actually be great is if they decide that 
something in the works is we're just going to come back on curb and do another one of those. Cause if they go on curb, that'll be great no matter what. Yes. The Seinfeld quote reunion on curb was awesome. All right, let's continue on. Texas A&M at Tennessee, Tennessee minus three total 55. Nice to see everybody except us, bet Texas A&M last week. That was one of my favorite plays of in years taking Bama minus one last week. Oh, it was so yeah. enjoyable. We got it. I mean, they locked it up and I got to say like it didn't even come in as easily as I thought it was going to. It was a struggle and they still got it relatively easily. So struggle for a half and why, then they took care of him. Uh, why would you bet on Jimbo? That I, everyone in Saturday morning, all the experts all had AM. You know, they have a better roster and blah, 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 blah. No, it didn't matter. It was great. Um, Alabama's offense looks better. And, uh, I, if I had gun to my head had to pick the best SEC team, right? SEC team, I'd pick Alabama right now too. Um, by the way, my, uh, four team parlay last week, uh, teaser hit. Thanks to, uh, that was a good one. Washington state. I needed that 13 and a half, but after that, it was really easy. We had UNC, Bama and Cuse helped you out as much as they could. That was very easy. That was the best leg of them all. Cuse said um, uh, they were like, we want to be competitive, but I know Dan's got an important teaser writing on this, mm-hmm. so we're not going to show up at all. I did enjoy how in our group text, uh, Chima tried, Kitas tried blaming an early call against Syracuse <laughs> as the reason for the downfall. And then Jeremy jumped in quickly to say, oh, yes, I'm sure that's the reason why they're going to lose, which was so good. The best possible comeback. Those two are the most two delusional Syracuse fans. I love it. It's good. You got you need something to get you through the snow and the five and seven seasons. I actually laughed when I when when when, when Jeremy wrote that reply. I was like, so good. <laughs> he knows. And he's the season ticket um, holder, isn't he? Yeah. All right. So. A&M at Tennessee, Tennessee minus three, total 55. I don't think either team is good. I don't think uh, Joe Milton's any good. And uh, But somehow they're Tennessee's four and one. I don't know. I'm not betting Jimbo on the road. So lay it with Tennessee. Ryan, thoughts? This is like the definition of stay the hell away game. Three points home. They're basically saying they're, this is a, these teams are dead even. Coaching matters. If I had to pick, I'd probably take Tennessee, but this is this is total stay away from me. I have no – this should be the your opinion is wrong game because yeah. you could talk me into every possible scenario, and I would agree with you. You stole the words right out of my mouth. I thought this was a your opinion is wrong game, um, but not because you could talk me into anything because you couldn't talk me into any possible bet in this game. So it's a stay away. <laughs> All right, Tom, well, you're going to do a lot of talking on this next one. Iowa at Wisconsin, Wisconsin minus nine and a half, total 34. Talk for one minute on this. Go. Okay, so Iowa, obviously McNamara out for the season. They replace him with a guy named Deacon, which is usually a good sign in sports. So can't be a downgrade, as I've said many times. Iowa's, uh, what are they, five and one now? without really having any discernible offense whatsoever. So to me, as crazy as this sounds, it is wild to lay 10 points against Iowa if you're not one of the big three in the 
you know, obviously Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Other teams should not be laying 10 against Iowa. I actually like it. I, I think I will bet Iowa with the points. And of course, there is only one solution when it comes to the over-unders for Iowa. I do not see a two to start this one, so I will be taking the under. But don't have a lot of faith in this Wisconsin team, and Iowa just, they get it done as ugly as it is. So look for about uh, 117 yards of total offense from Iowa and a um, 20 to 16 victory. Wait, that would put That's us over. That was Tom. over. No, That's scratch, over. scratch, scratch. Abort, abort. <laughs> All right. 16, 16 to 13, Iowa. That's better. Ryan, how many minutes of this game will we watch on Saturday? Zero. That's the did correct I, answer. Did you ask me to talk for one minute so that you can set it up for me talking tonight about it longer than you watch? That's correct, Tom. You 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 obliged, and I appreciate your compliance. Don't worry, folks. As always, I will be watching all of the worst Big Ten games to bring you this expert analysis on Take the Points. I'll, I get deep into these. I watched a good section of Illinois-Nebraska last, what, Friday night? So I'm all in. If Washington loses to Oregon, I'm getting a handle of Jack on the way home from Ryan's. And I'm going to watch all of this next game. Louisville at Pitt. (laughs) Louisville minus seven and a half. Total 44. Breaking news, Dan. Breaking news. (laughs) We've we've been pronouncing Christian Valu's name wrong for two years. It's Christian Veyer. Veyer. Yes. Like Veyer, like. Like Air, Air Canada. (laughs) <laughs> that's the correct answer i was, I was gonna say rarefied air but air canada makes more sense i like that okay so louisville six and oh three and oh in the conference uh by the way the first bowl eligible team by the way louisville uh just beat notre dame ranked 14th looking great looks pretty easy Playing dan it. seems like they should easily cover the spread and beat pitt with no problem whatsoever. Playing so we, we probably in, don't even need to break this one down. Playing a team in chaos with a new quarterback and a crazy head coach in a spread that's only seven and a half. What could possibly go wrong here? What could possibly <laughs> go wrong for Louisville? Is there in is this there game? is there any man, human being involved in this game who could possibly create some kind of ridiculous outcome that counteracts all that you've just said. That would be the only way. 90% of the reason why I think college football is the best sport is because of the excellent play on the field. But this is the other 10% right here. This is the high comedy that you don't get in any other sport. Give me Pitt on the money line. I'm betting it on the money line and sending you screenshot of it on Saturday. Mark that down. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to win. I'm going to say 1916 Pitt. I want score predictions. I want uh, so we can revisit this next week. 19, 1916 is absolutely perfect. All right. Tom, I need your pick. I'm making note of it right now. No, I'm. that's my pick. Pitt 1916. Okay. I'm 100% with you. It's not... It, <laughs> It absolutely will not be like a score ending in a one or a zero or a seven. 
All right, we're both going 1916 bit. Uh, Ryan, do you have a score prediction? 2420 Nardot. Okay. All two. three of us. That's too that's too like nice and even. It's got to be like 2219. Nope. We'll find out. Nardog's going to keep it clean. And here's the reason. I'm going to give you guys <laughs> the exact clean. reason why this game is going to go in Pitt's direction. Because Dan mentioned it. The 10% of college football that likes to be crazy. That likes to be filled with drama. Like it's a bunch of teenage kids in high school. Well, guess what, guys? This game is on the goddamn CW network. The home of teenage drama. <laughs> this game was meant for yes. a bunch of wild, crazy bullshit to happen. We got a French guy. We're going to have some cigarettes on the sideline. This is perfect. This is like an episode of Dawson's Creek, Pittsburgh style. Let's do this. I didn't even know that. That makes it 10 times better. That's pretty good. All right, let's move on. Well, I'm sure you'll know which network this game's on. USC at Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame minus three, total 60. <laughs> we got a lot going on here. We got USC coming off a bad performance, traveling to Indiana to play Notre Dame. And even when USC was elite, they always struggled at Notre Dame. It's, a, it's just how it is. Notre Dame now five and two have lost two of their last three, almost lost to Duke as well. Their offensive coordinators uh, under a lot of heat I'm seeing and uh, some questionable, a questionable decision hiring him. I'll go first on this one. I like the over 60. Uh, I, I think Notre Dame will find a way to score points in this game. And I don't think USC can be stopped really. So Give me over 60, and Notre Dame, by the way, is a three-point favorite, which is ridiculous. So um, maybe USC over hook might be in my cards this weekend. Ryan, go ahead. I mean, it's USC is the play here. I can't believe that they're the actual underdog in this game. Notre Dame coming off of a loss and playing the number 10 team with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Like, it just, how are they favored in this game? It makes no sense to me. USC all day. You guys have, this this is your West coast bias. USC's stinks. They got no defense. They're going to get, what's his name? Estime is going to run all over them. Hartman will throw, throw in the giant, you know, truck size gaps in their defense. And this will be a fun shootout game. It's probably three point line either way. So I guess I'll take the points, but something like a, 40, 41, 38 sounds about right. So over, take the points. But I think Notre Dame could definitely win this game. I think it's a total coin flip. I think you're right on uh, there'll be points to be had for Notre Dame. If they don't score at least 28 in this game, they really are terrible. If Notre Dame can't, yeah, yes, correct. I was going to say 30, but same thing. They should just pack it up for the year if they can't put up four touchdowns on this bad Mm -hmm. defense. All right, let's move on. Miami at North Carolina, UNC minus three and a half, total 57. Three and a half seems a little light, um, being a night game at home for North Carolina. Uh, and 57 feels a little low. Uh, Ryan, what do you think on this one? This is a 
stay away live bet game because this game is going to tell me what the players think of Mario Cristobal. After last week, if they believe in him and they trust in him, they're going to come out flying, playing hard, put that shit in the rear view mirror, let's go get it. If that's the case, they could definitely keep this game close and I think it's going to go way over. If they come out flat and North Carolina just marches down the field on them and is up 14 nothing like they were against Syracuse, they're going to give up. If they don't like Cristobal, if they don't believe in him, if they're pissed off about last week, they're just going to quit. So for me, this is stay away, watch the first three to four drives total, two drives each team, and then live bet the shit out of it. See. Yeah, this will be an awesome game to watch, and I certainly plan to watch it, but I don't think I'll be betting on it. I don't want to overreact to one horrible, horrible coaching decision, but Miami's looked good, and if you asked me 10 days ago, I would have said this spread is probably right on, and this will be a very competitive close game. So I'm not going to take either side in this. Obviously, with Gene Chiggins involved, the over is the play there. I feel like normally this line gets moved because Miami lost to like six, six and a half, seven, but it's only three and a half, which is weird. And now I think about it more, I kind of like an under, I don't know how, but I have a weird feeling this game's both teams are in the twenties, not thirties. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm not betting this game. It's terrifying. I'm staying away. I'm, I'm with you in that. I, expected the line to be different based on an overreaction. And this is probably where I thought the line would have been again, you know, 10 days ago. So I don't think Vegas really moved the line too much based on that one terrible end of the game decision. No. All right, let's move on to some real football. UCLA at Oregon state, Oregon state minus three and a half total 54. I'm not buying UCLA. I haven't bought them in well ever. Uh, so that's so, which to be honest, um, Oregon State last week went to Cal. A lot of people picked Cal last week, also tough run defense, blah blah blah. Yeah, Oregon scored on every drive, uh, they were and they scored in the mid 50s and blew the doors off them. UCLA, like Ryan said, number one ranked defense in the country. Let's do some inspection on that. Let's see, they open against Coastal Carolina, which is a shell of themselves. Then they played that offensive powerhouse, San Diego State, followed by NC Central. And then they played against Cam Risingless, Utah. And they had a good game last week against Cam Ward and held them to 17. So, whatever. Uh, this one's easy. Take Oregon State. They're going to kill them. And they'll be right back in the thick of winning the conference and outside chance of the playoff. They lost one game on the road by seven points at home in Corvallis. They'll take care of those pretty boys from Southern California. That freshman quarterback has not seen an environment like this in a physical team. Uh, take Oregon State. They're going to smack them in the mouth. Ryan, thoughts? Uh, I'm going to take the under in this game. <clears throat> I think Oregon State likes to run the ball. They like to play physical. We talked about UCLA's 54. defense. 54, I mean, 30-24. I can't see this game being that, <clears throat> that high. So... For me, this is like 27-20 Oregon State. So I'm going to go on the under on this one, under 54. Tom Z. Uh, this one's out of my jurisdiction, but I love the picks. 
All right, very good. Uh, and that concludes the picks I have for this week. Oh, come Tom, on. do you have something come to add? On. Yes, I have one to add. Let me, I want to find the exact lines <laughs> because what we have um, affectionately started calling the Utah window, we've got one of the best ones. Uh, here we go. Uh, Indiana goes to number two, Michigan. Michigan is favored by 34 points with a 45 point total. So we know what's going to happen. Ryan, you want to say it? This is about Michigan and the under. Correct. 42, three Michigan. Okay. It's a beautiful window, Ryan. <clears throat> okay. Fair enough. I like it. That's really all I had. What else do you have, Ryan? Um, I have Texas Tech minus one and a half against um, home against Kansas State. I like this Texas Tech team. I think they're actually, even though they're three and three, I think they're pretty good. And uh, I think they're tough to play at home. So I like Texas Tech. It's only minus one and a half. And I think they're definitely the better team. So not a lot of points, but I like that. I like the home team in that spot. Um, and then the only other game that I was looking at was uh, Kansas minus three at Oklahoma State. If Daniels is going to play, then they're the easy pick. I don't know if he's going to play or not. So if he's going to play, then Dan, you're saying he's definitely out? Yeah, no, he's not going to play. I'm telling you, they're shutting him down for the transfer to Michigan State with Leopold. I, I know it. I'm sure of it. Sure enough. 100%. Speak, speaking of beautiful Big Ten football, I'm going to let you guys pick this one. Illinois at Maryland, the over-under is 51 and a half, gentlemen. Do you have a pick on that? Under. Illinois, Maryland. When in doubt. Getting under. to 52 points combined. Under. Yeah. Yes, yeah, correct. Under. There's not much to talk about. Under. That's a good bet for this week. Mm-hmm. We should just do a thing where we're like – we bet every under in all the Big Ten games and all the overs in the Pac-12 and see how we do over the course of a week because I don't think we're coming out as a loser. Yeah. I mean, you won't win them all, but we're definitely no, going to be net positive. Yeah, I think... Sight unseen. I think, se- I think 70% of unders come in in the Big Ten and 70% of overs come in in the Pac-12, and I think you make some money that way. Blind bet it. I like this. I might try this one, or I might at least record it for this week and see what we do. You know what? I will see what the outcome was for next week. I'll I'll track it. All right. Excellent. Okay. Um, Well, there's one closing thought I want to hear. Well, I actually just want to hear from you, Dan. We don't talk a lot of hockey, but uh, we definitely have to give a shout out to Mr. Barry Melrose, the face of the sport getting uh, unfortunately diagnosed with Parkinson. Would you like to take a minute and just talk about the, what a great man and uh, advocate for the sport he is, the sport that you love the most out of the three of us? Few people enjoy covering sports more than Barry Melrose enjoyed covering hockey. He, I'm pretty sure he, he, he like was sleeping in the ESPN studio on a sack of rice underneath like a table in the break room because they would have him on like live at like one in the morning east coast time not like via satellite or like 
he'd just be there. He'd be like, oh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to talk. The, 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 the Canucks had played the Oilers. Great game. They're like, Barry, it's 1 a.m. You got here at 9 a.m. You've been here for 16 hours. He's like, I don't see the problem. Do I get to talk about hockey? Loved hockey. Very passionate. Also knew his shit, too. He wasn't just a, a, a blowhard who made a bunch of bad picks. The guy knew hockey inside and out, knows hockey inside and out. He was a coach. And that uh, was highly entertaining and qualified, passionate, um, communicated well, great energy. 10 out of 10 in his job. And uh, ESPN was lucky to have him for as long as they did. Best hair in the business. Mm, thick. And he, he uh, lives in Glen Falls, New York, beautiful Glen Falls, the uh, town that It's a Wonderful Life was based on. But what's funny about that is you talk about him always being in the ESPN studio, which is in Connecticut. I am pretty positive. I live right, uh, you know, I live around here, around the ESPN studio. Pretty positive he never lived here at all. Like, I don't even, I don't even think he probably got hotels. He'd just like drive back to Glen Falls after yeah. his 1 a.m. hockey game. Hardcore. All right. Shout out to Barry Melrose. Hopefully, you know, things go as well as possible for him in the future. Uh, Ryan, Dan, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? No. Uh, I'm enjoying the last two minutes here in this West Virginia Houston game. It is a Houston's up 35, 32 with two Oh four left. All right. Well, I'll, I'll end on this note, which is an apology to Ryan that uh, two weeks ago, I made a controversial statement disagreeing that there was too much Taylor Swift coverage. This was before all of the NFL things. And uh, as it turns out, facts on the ground have changed. And I am now to- <laughs> totally, I, I do not need all the Taylor Swift coverage. We can knock it off people again, it's like stupid of all the three of us, I'll be the one to, to uh, defend her music the most. I mean, I don't love it. I think she writes, good catchy songs, but we do not need to see her every 12 seconds at an NFL game. We don't need to hear about her. Like if she snuck out in a popcorn machine, like it it feels like they're conflating two different audiences. Like you don't know who you're talking to. We are not interested in this stuff. I already pretty much hate the NFL in its entirety and it's falling way off my least watched sports. It's not even on my ESPN uh, app scoreboard, by the way, <laughs> true story. It's off. All right. This it's is off. okay. Here's how, sorry, Mine too. sorry to interrupt. Here's, <laughs> here's how I want to end the show. We talk about college being better than NFL and the, you know, it looked like a couple of years ago, it looked like the Gulf was narrowing, but now it's never been wider. Please name your two to three, Top reasons why the NFL sucks right now. I'm happy to go first. Watching that shitty ass London game. There was a flag on every single play. It is becoming unwatchable to watch NFL. Every play is a penalty. And that's only my number two reason. Number one, of course, we talked about it a lot and it's been worse last week. The turf, get rid of the goddamn turf, please. Uh, Taylor Swift will be my number three reason, but uh, you know, all the, uh, I guess frivolous bullshit that takes you away from the game college rules because they have all the pomp and circumstance and all the frivolous bullshit. And then they also have an excellent product on the field. NFL feels like they, they do more and more of the like sideshow stuff, but the games are just getting worse and just 
nothing but penalties. Ryan, why do you hate the NFL? I, it's exactly what you said, Tom. It's it's boring. It's just replays, flags, and commercials. Replays, flags, commercials. The only good thing about the NFL is the fact that I get to see Ryan Fitzmagic on every other commercial, which also kind of pisses me off because when he was with the Bills, that never happened. And then all of a sudden now he's on TV and people love him. And I'm almost positive that I'm almost positive. I called him Fitz magic before anyone on TV ever did. I'm, I'm almost positive in Dan's basement. I, I said it before anybody. I never heard anyone say it before I did. And, uh, yeah. I mean, this show goes back 11 years now. I'm pretty sure we got something on recording of you calling him that in circa 2011. It was 2012, Tom, because I had made a pilgrimage to the high school football field where Ryan Fitzmagic was born in Gilbert, Arizona. And then I came on Take the Points to tell you guys that I made a pilgrimage in honor of the Bills season for good luck. And I went to his high school and there is no mention of him anywhere. Dan. What's your number one most hated thing about the NFL? And then we'll wrap up. The useless 17 game regular season where all teams mail in multiple games. No one actually tries hard for 17, 18 weeks. You got teams that are clearly superior to other teams who just blow games like no other. Like it's really sloppy and injuries. Like I'm just tired of injuries affecting everything to do with sports or everything in the NFL. I mean, look at the NFC and AFC title game last year. You had Brock Purdy get hurt. Mahomes is limping around. It's it's just there's so many injuries. There's so few amounts of actual action that take place that you got to weed through hours and hours of boringness. And more than anything else, I just despise how everyone loves it so much. I'm just too much of a contrarian to like what everyone else does everything my whole life has been like that and i just like the constant passion for the nfl is so stupid and my least favorite player in the league by far is travis kelsey and to have him go out with taylor swift and it's just it's this is the worst it's ever been i couldn't care less i hate the sport i don't enjoy watching it i don't like betting on it um I try not to pay attention as much as I can. I watch as bare minimum as possible. I'm thankful that the Steelers are a middling team. I check out like in I'm on them once in a while. Like I have to search on my phone to find the Steelers score. I'm like, all right, they came back and beat Baltimore. Okay. So, so you're the but, one Pittsburgh fan who loves Matt Canada because he's doing you a favor. Oh, he's great. Cause it, it just leads to comedy. It was opening night at the penguins last night. And then crowd started a fire Matt Canada chant at the hockey game. And I'm here for the drama. This team's not going to win the Super Bowl, So who gives a fuck? Well, the city um, of Pittsburgh is about to whatever. trade the bad Canada for the good Canada with Christian Veyer. So you're, you're doing a Canada swap program. That's going to take a lot effect of this week. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of that, Maybe once it gets really cold late in the year, pit football will take off with the Canadian quarterback. Like if they have a late season game against Miami at home, hold on, stay on the podcast. I'm pulling up by the way right now. All right. I'll, I'll filibuster with two things. First is a a serious point. When you talk about all the 
the schedule and the injuries and stuff and the reason why teams like mail in games and you hate the NFL, I'm genuinely concerned about that happening in college football no. starting next year. When I see the Big Ten schedules, on the one hand, they look amazing. You know, Penn State's going to play Oregon, Washington, Ohio State, Michigan. It's like, damn, like that's a lot of appointment television right there. On the other hand, we're going to have like a, you know, a three loss playoff team, probably a two loss national championship sometime coming up soon. And, uh, that stinks. Uh, secondly, quick one. And then Ryan, you can chime in, uh, in terms of Christian Vare and the, the candidate influence, I would like to see, you know, instead of the turnover chain, I want a maple syrup related turnover thing. I want the turnover syrup. And you just, you just guzzles a bottle of maple syrup every time. Super trooper style. That's yes. very good. Ryan. Um, <clears throat> forgot to bring this up earlier when we were talking about these games, but Dan, since you're pulling schedules up, take a look at the fact that Florida state UNC and Louisville don't play each other. All three of those teams could absolutely go undefeated. It's, it's, Potentially, it is possible because UNC does not play Florida State or or Louisville. Yeah. Louisville isn't, yeah, so they don't, none of those teams play each other. It's like the perfect storm, the weirdest thing. So, so you're predicting what happens, yeah. what happens if three teams are undefeated because they got rid of divisions in the ACC. Am I correct? Well, two, yeah. two of them would have to play at the end of the season in the championship. But yeah. that's what I'm saying is, but, you but because still there's two no divisions, you can have three undefeated. And oh, if you're all saying three who, are undefeated, who plays in the championship game? Yeah, yeah it'll come down to some, no div- there's some no stupid tiebreaker like- or something. But you could potentially right. have two undefeated at the end of the season, even after the championship. You, we may be looking at two ACC teams in the playoff. Michigan, I mean, North Carolina. Michigan, Florida State, North Carolina, UW. All their schedules are complete trash. North Carolina plays two ranked teams this year. They played Miami at home this week, and then later on November 11th, they're home against Duke. That's their only two games against ranked teams. Oh, my God, is that bad. They'll find a way. Look at Louisville's. Not much better right now, I saw. They played Notre Dame. They're home against Duke, and they got Miami and Kentucky. So... In theory, that's much harder. North Carolina has the easiest path ever. Florida State allegedly is harder because they played LSU to start the year. But all they have left is Duke and Miami as well. So, In Florida, but it's not an ACC game, but it's still oh, yeah. Florida. Don't worry about them. They're terrible. Um, yeah, is this, this feels like North Carolina, Florida State, undefeated ACC title. And then whoever loses is going to be like, you know, we should still be in the playoff. Be like, shut the fuck up. You're in the Peach Bowl. Get over there. You're done. Guys, breaking news. West Virginia just pulled off the upset down 11 with four minutes left. I believe. Neil Brown, extension, five and one. Neil Brown. Oh, my God. Neil Brown escaping the tarmac. They were down three with 20 seconds left and scored on like a 40-yard pa- touchdown pass to a tight end. Neil Brown. Ooh, this, this sounds Cristobal-esque. Dana, I'm going to have to explore Dana this later. Might be, Dana might be getting left 
at the Pittsburgh airport tonight. Yeah. If Dana pulled a Mario Cristobal, we'll check on this after the show, but he, he did some bad decision that led to a last second, you know, uh, collapse. No, in the they secondary. just blew the game. No, they just blew it. But why? Straight I mean, up. I mean, how do you score on a 40 yard touchdown with three seconds left? How is that allowed? You got to have a, a bad coverage or a missed tackle just, or some, some kind of yeah. egregious mistake in the secondary. Oh, now we have the All hilarious right. college All kicking right. off from the 20. <laughs> All right, we, we don't need to dissect this on the show. We'll definitely look at this afterwards. All right, Dan, you're looking up a schedule. Tell me what you got. And then no, I'm looking at the NFL. I'm pissed, I'm pissed off again about the NFL. Another thing I hate, Thursday night football. Yeah. Look, no one is in physical shape to play on Thursdays. They play the most physical sport in the world. It's ridiculous. Let me just point out some stupid coaching statistics to you right now. Kansas City Chiefs are playing tonight. Travis Kelsey, eight catches for 121 yards. Take a guess how many yards their next closest receiver has today. If he has 121, just take take a guess. Oh, that would be 30. 37? Oh. 30. Rasheed Rice, two for 30. How hard is it? to just cover him and make sure that he does never touches the ball, like make the other guys beat him. Oh wait. I thought that Sean Payton, the quarterback whisperer himself who groomed Taysom Hill was a big (laughs) signing for the Denver Broncos. Fuck off. Fuck them all. I hate them all. So we, it's the worst sport. I I don't want to keep extending this, but we talked about this. Some of us were texting about this uh, last weekend. I think this is just my personal theory that defensive coordinators have too much ego to double a tight end, even when it's Kelsey yeah. and he keeps burning. Right. They, they're like, he's a tight end. We don't need to double him. You know, whereas if it's Tyreek Hill, they admit, Oh, this guy can burn us. We get better put a safety over on him. They, it's idiotic. It, it's like an ego thing. And if they just admitted it and covered Kelsey, now it's still the chiefs and Mahomes. Right. They'd find another way, but like, yeah, you're right. Let's take away their best player. Houston, Houston just won on a Hail Mary. Oh, my goodness. Your opinion was wrong. Yep. Zero time left. The Hail Mary in the end zone that bounced around off four different people's hands. Oh, my uh, God. 41-39. Oh, my God. That was nuts. There was like three touchdowns in the last three minutes. Right, Neil glad. Brown back on the hot seat. Back Neil on Brown, the back hot on the, seat. I, yeah, I never liked him. Never liked <laughs> strike, the guy. Never thought he was strike good. Strike what I said. Yes. Scratch all Dana of that. Dana Hogerson, safe and sound. He's. I've Wait, always always don't, loved him. Don't scratch. Don't scratch that. That plane. That meal on the ride home. The plane ride home. We're gonna need that. Hang on. <laughs> We're not leaving him there. We need his meal. What if they just fired him and they're like, oh, oh shit, he won. Force a habit. Sorry, Dana. All right. That's a great way to end the show. I got to go and watch these highlights now. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We're back again next week. Enjoy the games. Peace out.